Our text for today comes from Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, all right, all right. Well, this morning we're continuing our series on the Bible. We're, we're just calling the story. And uh, if you've been reading along with us in our year of biblical literacy over the past few, uh, really month and some change here, you are officially, as of yesterday, I believe, through Leviticus. Um, if you've made it through Leviticus, congratulations. Um, it only gets easier from here, all right? So you'll, you'll have no issues there. Um, in this series, we are talking about the kind of big or grand story of the Bible, what uh, theologians often call the meta-narrative. That's an interesting word. Uh, but it is the large story within which, when we understand, uh, we can see the Bible more clearly. And this morning, we're picking up on the third installment of this big story uh, we call the Bible. And I believe we have a little graph up here or to give us a little context for where we are. So uh, our first week, we talked about the cre creation. Our second week, we talked about the fall. And today, we are talking about the act in the story of the Bible that we call Israel. Israel. Now, uh, this aspect or this section of the story is really what we call the Old Testament, when you think about it. Really, from Genesis 12 right on through the end of the Old Testament is the story of Israel. Uh, it's the story of God moving through, communicating with, and reaching out to the people of Israel. Uh, today, we often call these people the Jewish people, uh, but the story that we're looking at, uh, the story of Israel, is vital for our understanding of the Bible because, one, it is such a huge portion of what we call the Bible, but also because the story of the Old Testament is essentially the story of God revealing himself through a kind of a series of conversations with a group of people. This is what it is. Now, Christians also see the stories as, uh, as a way of understanding ourselves and understanding Jesus. But if you don't, first and foremost, understand the Old Testament stories as God's interaction with the people of Israel, and you don't see in, in some way what God is actually doing in this relationship with these people, you miss all kinds of significant things. Specifically, you miss some stuff about who Jesus is. It's actually hard to understand who Jesus is and what he was saying and what he was trying to communicate about his life if we don't understand this part of the story, if we don't understand what was happening as God reveals himself and works with Israel, trying to form them into a people who would represent him in the world. And the reason that we will miss stuff if we don't understand this portion of the story is very simple. It's because Jesus was a Jewish man. It's a simple statement, and we know it, right? Most of us know it off the top of our heads, but it's something that we have to keep in front of us because Jesus understood what he was doing as living out or even fulfilling the story that started with Israel. It's pretty clear when you read the Gospels that Jesus under understood himself as playing a kind of pivotal role in the story of God's interactions with Israel. And so when Jesus talks about who he is, 
And what he is doing, he talks about it within the context of this story. He uses allusions from this story. He uses, he uses pictures and ideas and scriptures from this story in order to help his audience understand who he is and what he came to do. The story of God seen through the lens of the history of God's interaction with Israel colored everything about Jesus. It colored everything about the way he saw himself and everything he said to other people. And if we fail to understand who Jesus is within this story, we will miss who he is in general or who he wants us to understand him to be. It is vital that we understand this story. If you don't understand these stories, we cannot fully understand Jesus, or we will not understand the significance of what he was doing in the New Testament. When the New Testament writers are explaining who Jesus is to, to their audience, when they're just trying to first get across to them what, what, what this guy Jesus is and what he came to do, they, they intentionally tie him back into the story of Israel. If you open your Bibles to the, the Gospel of Matthew, I can show you this really quick. The very first page of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is the first book in our New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And this is the very first words in the Gospel of Matthew. As Matthew is attempting to communicate to his audience who Jesus is. He says this, The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy. Are any of you into genealogies? Maybe your, your grandpas are definitely into genealogies if you're not. My grandpa is. Matthew is concerned with who Jesus' people are. That's one of his primary concerns. Now, who are this guy's people and where did he come from? What story are we tying Jesus back into? And he really wants us to know where he comes from. Because there is something significant about who Jesus is going to be in the continuation of the story that Matthew is telling that is dependent upon us understanding who Jesus, who Je where he came from, who his people are. And Matthew tells us that Jesus is a Jewish man, the son of Abraham, in the line of the greatest king in the history of Israel, the great king David. Now, you and I read this genealogy and we... Um, don't understand it at all, <laughs> right? Or we're slightly bored by it, or it just feels like, like I said, like your grandpa talking to you about your, about your great, 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 great grandfather, Jehoshaphat, who came from Germany or something. I don't know. Is that a German name? No, it's not. Uh, we, re we read the genealogy, and we think, oh gosh, I don't, I don't need another genealogy. Like, I get it. But, but I kid you not, for Matthew's original audience, the gene this genealogy would have like blown their minds, <laughs> which is funny to think about. This genealogy would have communicated powerfully to the, to the original audience of this gospel about who Jesus is and what he is doing. Uh, this is a climactic shift in the story of the Bible that Matthew is trying to communicate through this genealogy. And he does it all by tying Jesus' life back into the story of the Bible, back into the story of Israel. And if we skip the story of Israel, if we skip this genealogy and all that it communicates about who Jesus is, it's kind of like, have you ever uh, gone to a movie and then you had to get up and use the restroom and you come back and the rest of the movie makes no sense, right? Has this ever happened to you before? Uh, maybe it's just me. Uh, 
or this is probably a more common one for our family, or we're in the middle of something and one of our kids needs something and so we go attend to them for what feels like three hours and when we come back, we don't have no context for the show we were watching, right? You, you just have no idea. You know, if you miss the middle of the story, it doesn't work anymore, does it? Like, uh, have any of you seen Babe, the talking pig movie, right? We watched this a lot growing up. Uh, if you watch Babe, you could see the beginning of the story, right? You could understand there's a pig that's talking. I don't understand all the context around why this pig is talking. And then you could see the end of the story where the pig is apparently a herding sheep. If you don't know Babe, just don't hold it against me. I know this is a strange analogy. Uh, but if you miss that, you miss all the tension of the story, right? If you miss the middle part about we, should we eat this pig or should we let him herd sheep, right? This is the tension of the story. But if, if you miss the middle portion, you don't understand where the story is going. You don't understand the significance. And the same is true of the story of Israel. If we don't understand the story itself, we will never get where it's headed. And we will never understand even, even the language that's used to describe what it is that Jesus is doing um, in the Gospels. So it's vitally important that we get this story, that we, we come to understand it. And part of the reason we're reading through the scriptures this year as a church community is simply so that we can understand them in a more uh, hands-on type of way. If you get this big story and you kind of understand the arc of the story, then when you read the minutia of the story, all kinds of interesting things begin to sprout up for you. All these interesting connections. You're like a beautiful mind, right? Like there's all kinds of these interesting little connections that occur that, that bring the story to life for you and help you to apply it to your own context and to your own world. And so uh, this morning, we are going to continue to talk about the story of Israel. And the story of Israel, as we understand it, really begins with one man in Genesis 12 from the passage that Ashley read to us. And the man's name is Abraham. And in Genesis 12, verse 1, it says this one thing. The Lord called to Abram. The Lord called to Abram. Now, we need to stop right there for a moment. Notice here that this name is missing a couple of syllables, right? Abram was his pagan name before he was fully co-opted into the plan of God, before Abraham became the head of this great global family we call the people of Israel, before all of the rest of the stuff that we read about the story, all the rest of the stuff that we read about Abraham's family, this guy, Abram, is just kind of in the middle of, uh, of the Middle Eastern world. He's a herdsman. He's a patriarch. He's the head of a nomadic clan of people who just kind of roam and graze their animals wherever they go. Uh, he was kind of in, in what is today northern Iraq, and what he, his business was grazing sheep and goats. He was traveling most likely with a pretty big band of people. Um, we're not sure exactly how many, but we know that at one point in the story, him and his cousin have to separate because they have too many, too much livestock for one piece of land to handle them both, and so they kind of have to separate. But we know that this patriarch, this Abraham, was simply going about his business, and all of a sudden, kind of out of the blue, God reaches out to Abraham. And, the, and this passage of Scripture tells us that God speaks to him. God speaks to him. Now, I want you to pay close attention to those words, the words that God speaks. Because 
And the truth of the matter is, is that God's willingness to go after Abraham in this story tells us something significant about his character. It tells us that he speaks, but it also tells us, and I think foundationally so, and this has been a theme over the last few weeks, that God is relational. God is relational. God wants to be understood, not kind of in an esoteric way through rules or laws or some kind of divine self-revelation that's just kind of out in the sky, but rather he wants to be known as he relates to people. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is how he's often referred to as. This God, the God of everything, the God that Genesis tells us created all things, is the God who reveals himself in relationship with people. God reaches out his hand and he speaks to Abraham. He calls to him out of the, the chaos of the world and he reaches out his hand and he wants to communicate something true, something real about himself. And he wants to do it through this relationship with people. Now, this is strange to us because we would like God to be this type of God that just reveals himself full stop, right? And just gives people no other option. Like uh, handwriting on the wall, or whatever the God equivalent of a skywriter is, right? Something to communicate to us the reality of who God is. Yet, this is not how God does things. Uh, the, the theologian Robert Jensen puts it this way. He says, uh, The God depicted in the Old Testament does not ride serenely above the happenings of the temporal world. Israel's God lives the history of this world together with us. And that means he has, he has to live by and with the particularities and singularities of history. He has to enter history the same way that anyone enters history, by taking a particular place and doing particular things. And he does that the way, uh, he does that the way anyone does, by identifying himself with a particular cause or people or movement. In fact, Israel. So this is interesting, isn't it? God wants to tell the world what he is like, God wants to re-enter the human story, in a sense. But he does not want to do this unilaterally, right? This isn't unilateral God action. He wants to do it through relationship with people. And he decides in his grace to insert himself into the story or into the affairs of one particular family by reaching out to this guy named Abram or Abraham and by speaking with him. But just because God's interaction with Abraham is personal and kind of local in that sense does not mean that it is only limited to Abraham. It is specific. It is local. It has particular, it has a, like Jensen says, it, it is particular. But it is also something larger than that. It is also something that encompasses the whole of the world. Actually, the, the, we learn that the whole world will be blessed because of what God is doing with this particular man named Abraham. You know, in the story of, uh, in the beginning of the book of Genesis, uh, five times in that story, from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, we, we hear that there is a kind of curse that's been pronounced upon the earth. So if you were to read Genesis 1 through 11, leading up to chapter 12 that we read as our teaching text today, you would hear a number of curses that were pronounced. The word curse appears five different times. And yet, in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, how many times, if we read the word blessing five times, which is interesting, isn't it? This is how the way uh, 
two uh, scholars put it. They say this, the reputation uh, the, um, the of the word bless in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, declares that through Abraham, God is at work to reverse the effects of judgment on his creation. Though sin has brought God's curse on creation, God is still at work to recover his purpose by blessing uh, for all that he has made. And Abraham is to be the medium of divine restoration for the whole world. You see, though through Abraham, God is forming a people, a people that will bless the whole world, that will kind of undo the, the pain and the difficulty and the curse that sin brought upon the earth in the fall. And so from this story, we learn essentially three things about God. First, we learn that God speaks. Second, we learn that God longs to reveal him, uh, who he is through relationship. And third, we learn that God is working to restore the world by undoing the curse through his blessing, through blessing. And that's powerful stuff, I think, if we really stop and look at it. Now, at, at the point in the story where we see today, those purposes are just kind of in seed form. God has just reached out to Abraham. He has informed him of what he is about to do. And he begins the process of working with Abraham to do this, to form a people who would, who would communicate to the world what God was really like, who would be a conduit of God's blessing to the world. But if you read the story any further, if you read the story of Abraham, like two more sentences, what you realize quickly is that this thing is not going to be smooth sailing from this point on out. There are all kinds of problems. You could categorize nearly every member of Abraham's family as having a legit behavior disorder. Like, it's, it's not great. And yet God still works within the confines of this relationship, within this story, to reveal his character and his plan. You know, God works within the lives of imperfect people in the Old Testament to bring about his purpose. And those imperfect lives as imperfect as they are, do not in any way stand in the way of God's sovereign work of communicating who he is to the world through his interactions with this group of people. He works within their history, within their story, to bring about his purpose and his blessing to the world. And so this is who God reveals himself to be in the Old Testament. And it, it is then not surprising that in the New Testament we see Jesus placing himself within this larger story of Israel, and specifically relating to humanity as really the person, the conduit, to bring God's blessing to the world. You see, I think we see, uh, uh, and we see the writers of the, of the New Testament, specifically Matthew, in his genealogy, connecting Jesus back into this story, Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus is not a God separate from history, right? Separate from uh, stories flying over top of our heads. Jesus is the picture of God that we see in Genesis 12 come full circle, come to life, actually. Jesus is a God who has not, uh, not only had a relationship with Israel, but is Israel. Jesus represents, in the fullest sense, the true son of Israel in the story. The one through the true son of Abraham, a representative of God, who is going to be the conduit of blessing to the world, who is going to reverse the curse 
that, w- that, is, that was pronounced upon the world. Jesus is the one in the story of God's interaction with humanity that forms the, the peak, the climax of the story. And if we miss that, if we miss that, we miss something significant about who God is, about his character, about his purposes. We miss the fact that God wants to put skin in the game. You know, there's an interesting story when God makes his covenant with Abraham. Throughout the Old Testament, there's all these covenants. There's all these promises that God makes in relationship with people, which is crazy when you think that the God of the universe would be like, yes, let's have a conversation and I'll make a promise and you make a promise and then we'll both stick to it, right? It's kind of nuts. But there's this interesting story when God is making his covenant with Abraham. And and there's a story where uh, he tells to Abraham, so sacrifice some animals and cut them in half, which is interesting, and, and lay them out on either side. And what, there's a very fascinating story. And then God kind of appears like a, like a flame of some, of some kind, and he passes between the two halves of these animals that Abraham has, um, has sacrificed and kind of splayed open, which is a very strange thing, right? It feels almost, it, it is ancient, right? And, and the purpose of it is, is not clear. It's some type of ceremony that God is carrying out with Abraham. But in Abraham's context, it would, have been made, it would have been quite clear what God was doing. God was promising his fidelity to Abraham to, to, to sacrifice those animals and split them and, and lay them in two sides and then to move between them was a way in the ancient world of saying, if I don't keep my promise, may it be to me like it is to these sacrificed animals, Right? God is making some kind of special promise with this people in such a way that he's saying, I have skin in the game. And when we, when we jump forward into the New Testament, that is like turned up to 11 because we see a God who isn't just uh, a part, isn't just committed to uh, a relationship with humanity, but has now taken on flesh and blood. A God who, who has now literally put on skin <laughs> and stepped into the game. This is the God that we see in Jesus. And it, and it is through the story of Abraham that we understand the significance of what Jesus is doing. You know, Jesus came from a kind of backwater town, from unimportant parents. He had no real money or status. But Matthew tells us that he is in the line of David. That he, has this, uh, that he has this kind of story that is propelling him forward. That he has this picture of who he is and what he's been called to do based on the story that comes before it. You know, in this story, and you can read this over and over and over again, what you'll, what you'll see is that Jesus is the true son of Abraham. Jesus is the one through whom God is going to bless the world. Jesus is the essence of the story. And Jesus wants to be our story as well. He wants, he wants to be the one who is the essence of our story in the same way that Jesus is the, the essence of the story of Israel. In the same way that Jesus embodies all that it means to bless the world and reverse the curse. In the, in the essence of everything that Jesus is in the story of Israel, Jesus wants to be all of that for us. You know, we said earlier in this sermon series that, um, that part of, this, part of what, uh, what Christian people are called to do is to see our lives within the larger story of the scriptures. To not 
you know, we all have a story. We all have a narrative. We tell ourselves, right? We all, we all have a purpose, and, we, and we, we all have a kind of direction in our lives. And the, and the way that we construct that is by telling ourselves a story about who we are and what we're becoming and, and what we want to do with our lives. And yet we are all called to see our stories, I think, within this larger story that the scriptures are telling. And specifically, for Christian people, to see our lives within the story that Jesus is telling. The story of redemption and renewal. The story of blessing. The story of a uh, reversed curse. And as we uh, journey through the scriptures, what, what comes to our minds over and over and over and over again is the significance of, of a life lived within that story and the promise of Jesus that he is the blessing that God began all the way back with Abraham, that he is the fulfillment of God's promise to us, that he is the one who is the true representative of God in the world. The book of Colossians says he's the icon of God. He's the one who shows us what God is like, and our lives cohere and they make sense as, the, as, we, as they participate in the life of Jesus, as we, as we give ourselves to Jesus in faith and in trust, our lives cohere and make sense. The story of our lives begin to make, take on all new kinds of significance and meaning. And this morning, the encouragement for all of you is, and the encouragement for me is, where do you need to let Jesus into your story? What part of your life, what part of my life, have I not let the, the story of, have I not let Jesus into? Have I not made him, have I not made Jesus, maybe you've, you've committed your life to Jesus and you've made him the Lord of your life, but have you made him the Lord of your story? Do you see your life as flowing out of this dynamic relationship with Jesus? And do you see the purpose, the telos of your life as being uh, dynamically attached to the story that Jesus is telling in the scriptures? It's sometimes hard to do, isn't it? because of bills and whatever. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is that as we see our lives within the story that Jesus is telling, this grand story of redemption and renewal that is being unfolded in the person of Jesus, that has been made available to us through Jesus's death and resurrection, as we see ourselves as co our lives as cohering within that significant place, they take on beautiful significance and meaning, and our lives begin to flourish. Because this story is the story of the cosmos. It is the story of all creation. It is a narrative large enough to, main to, take, on my, uh, to take on my life. Too often we sell ourselves short, right? We give ourselves over to stories that are, that are not particularly grand or beautiful. But the story of Jesus is big and beautiful. And it, can't, and it, is, large, it is a large enough cont container to hold my life, to hold all of our lives and within which our lives begin to have meaning and purpose and significance. And so my prayer this morning for you and for me, really, is that whatever, uh, whatever we are dealing with in our lives, whatever we are struggling with, and, and the truth of the matter is, is wherever we find tension in our lives, that tends to be the place where we have, in some sense, tried to take the reins back from this story, from Jesus. And we begin to try to control it for our own, uh, in our own way, with our own wisdom, and with our own purposes. But to, in some sense, give that over to God this morning. Give that over to God and to allow uh, the person of Jesus to begin to minister to our hearts. 
to transform our perceptions and to make us new. To take uh, the, the old adage is Jesus take the wheel. Uh, but, but I won't say that because it sounds corny. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is there, there are, this, and this is what it is to follow Jesus, guys. To, to be on this journey of discovery where we find in our own lives different corners, different nooks and crannies where we need to give ourselves more fully over to, the, to Jesus, to the story of God as told through, through Christ, and to learn to depend on him and to follow him and to love him as both the source and purpose of our lives. It's a beautiful challenge, and it's one that we are all invited into this morning. So would you stand with me as we, as we pray? And just as we're here this morning, um, in your, uh, just in an attitude of prayer, in your mind's eye, uh, what is it this morning? What area of your life is maybe God putting his finger on? And he's saying, I want, I want you to put that within the context of the story that I am telling about your life. What, what struggle, what difficulty, maybe it's not even a struggle or difficulty. Maybe it's some aspect of your life that you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Like, I have, I have rent this back from God, and I am trying to make this happen on my own. And this morning, you just need to give that over to Jesus. You just need to say, Jesus, take the wheel. You just need to say it. And to allow him the freedom to work in your story in ways that you had never imagined. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for the story of God told through the story of the Bible. And we pray this morning that as we uh, learn to give parts of ourselves over to Jesus and over to the story that he is telling, the story of redemption and renewal that he is telling, that we would find our lives, to, that, that within our lives, that, that the person of Jesus would become more real and more, uh, and more present to us than ever before. God, I pray for those in this place who know there's an area of their life where maybe they've been, hold, they've been clinging too tightly and they need to give it over to Jesus this morning. They, they, need, to, they need to lay down the, the narrative or the story that they've been living in a specific area and take up the story of Jesus and begin to live that as the predominant story in their lives. God, we know that as we, as we seek you, uh, we will find you. And as we put, place our hope and our faith in you, God, that uh, your, uh, your story will begin to grow larger and larger and larger in our lives. And, w- and our lives will begin to take on more significance and more meaning and more depth and more purpose than we could ever imagine or know. And we thank you this morning for your love and for your grace. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins and the, and the curse-reversing uh, work of Christ. We thank you for it this morning. And we pray it all in your name. Amen. And amen, and amen. Well, uh, one public service announcement before we get away. Uh, if you're staying with us for, uh, for lunch and then for our business meeting, uh, we'll be up in the fellowship hall. So th- take a little bit, hang out for a second, and then we'll head up there and have lunch, and then we'll come back into the sanctuary to eat. Uh, thank you for being here today. Um, go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks. <laughs>